0: Decades of poor research, a broken peer review system, false health and nutrition doctrines, inadequate regulation, and a culture dominated by powerful vested financial interests have combined to make the world's supermarkets into minefields of bad information and products that put our health, our lives, and our planet at risk. It's time to see beyond the two-for-one offers, the health aura products, and the shiny false promises on every shelf. It's time to let the real healing begin. I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. I'm Melody Patterson-Metta. And this is reinventing this the supermarket. Is reinventing the supermarket. Today, I'm very happy to welcome author and investigative journalist Nina Teicholz. Nina is the author of the International and New York Times best-selling book, The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. If you saw the Time magazine cover with the curl of butter on it not long ago, which was accompanied by the headline, Eat Butter, that cover story was inspired by Nina Teicholz and her superb book. Today, we're going to focus on the story of what happened with fats from the mid-20th century onwards, as healthy natural fats were demonized by researchers, governments, and the medical industry, in spite of there being no actual science to even support the idea. We'll be discussing the resulting and still unfolding global health disaster in which deadly industrial seed oils marketed as vegetable oils were anointed as healthy choices by the very people we should have been able to trust and how industrial oil products and their synthetic trans fats became the most pervasive ingredient in processed foods along with sugar. We're also going to talk in some detail about the outcomes of this monumental failure of nutrition research and how that has played out in the supermarket, where dangerous imitation food substances soon filled the shelves and even now are there carrying promises of better health. And we're going to touch on how the rush to rid our lives of trans fats while failing to recognize the healthiness of natural saturated fats is causing a whole new slew of increased health risks. So let's go. My recent discussion with Nina Teicholz, saturated fats versus industrial seed oils, trans fats and dangerous oxidation products, and just how deadly are some of the most common products in the supermarket, in this episode called The Great Fat Fiasco. Nina, I want to welcome you. Thanks, I'm happy to be here it's so exciting to be able to talk to you about this because you are such an expert you've done the the most vast amount of research on this and uh you know you've been invited to speak uh, to the canadian senate you've spoken to the usda you're really being noticed in uh, what you're putting forward and that is an argument on saturated fats
1: yes principally i mean the the, the Central theme of my book is is to question this idea that we've been living with for half a century that saturated fats cause heart disease and are bad for your health. Um, really examining that evidence um, and coming to the conclusion that you know that it's almost certain that saturated fats is the kind of fats you find in um, in animal foods you know butter and lard it used to be the backbone of of everything that was sold um in in supermarkets um that you know that that idea that they cause heart disease is is almost entirely um it's almost certainly wrong
0: Uh, i couldn't agree more and it
1: really does turn everything up that we think about fats kind of on on its head
0: well um if i i'm in my mid-50s now and if i look back to Sort of the, the late 60s and early 70s, we were seeing, and it, this happened uh, across the world, we saw vast shifts in the products on the supermarket shelves. And that was really a bigger story that was playing out, a bigger story in terms of public policy on saturated fats. And I'd really like to unpack a little bit about how it came to be that saturated fats around that time were being demonised in such a way that uh, brands were um, able to respond the way they did with a sense of security, I think, that they were doing the right thing
1: yeah so I think that you've um sort of covered the material from um the you know the the first part of the twentieth century where you know before nineteen hundred really Americans cooked principally with butter and lard and those were then replaced by um margarine and crisco so plant based fats um but what really gave those plant based vegetable what used to came to be called vegetable oils um a big push was that they were, um, they were embraced by nutrition scientists. So what happened in the United States that came to be adopted all over the world was um, the rising tide of heart disease, which had come from pretty much out of nowhere in the early 1900s to become the number one killer in the U.S., um, and then followed by other countries as well. This terrifying disease that struck middle-aged men and, and in the prime of life gave them a heart attack. Um, and our president, President Eisenhower himself, in 1955, had a heart attack and was out of the, um, the White House um, for 10 days. So it was very much the focus of everyone's attention, this urgent sense that there had to be some solution to this public health crisis. And there was, um, there were a number of ideas about what, were, what was causing heart disease, but into that, um, Void really stepped one scientist named Ansel Keyes, who was a pathologist at the University of Minnesota. And it was his idea that it was saturated fats that caused heart disease. Saturated fats would raise your total cholesterol, clog your arteries, and give you a heart attack. And that was his idea. It was called the Diet Heart Hypothesis. It was a hypothesis like any other. Um, but he was this very um, outsized, aggressive man. He had a truly unshakable faith in his own beliefs. And he was able to get his idea implanted into the American Heart Association, which was the leading group on heart disease in America at the time. And so in 1961, it was the first ever recommendation worldwide to avoid saturated fats, replace them instead with polyunsaturated vegetable oils in order to fight, fight heart disease. And that was... That was really the beginning. That was the tiny acorn that grew into the giant oak tree of advice that we have today. It really
0: did. It so did. I can't can't imagine that there are very many people alive today who haven't been told at some point in their life that they should be choosing polyunsaturated vegetable oils for their health. And I'm noting that the term vegetable oil is a marketing term. It's because they're not really vegetable oils. For the most part, they're, they're seed oils. Industrial
1: exactly. industrial right.
0: extracted seed oils,
1: right? And it's, you know, and even, it, exactly that. And, and even at the time, it seemed it's like looking back on it, it seems ludicrous that these vegetable oils, which had only really been invented in the early 1900s, and whose rise in the food supply perfectly paralleled the increase in heart attacks, that these could then be seen as the food that you must eat to restore. Uh, health to a to some some um, pre- previous better health that existed before the introduction of be- vegetable <laughs> yes. oils. Right.
0: So, so yeah, now, I mean
1: it was an absurd idea.
0: Ancel Keys, of course, was not unopposed in this this march towards uh, re- the recommendation of polyunsaturated vegetable oils. A, a lot of people initially in the medical fraternity did stand up. Did they not? And certainly, a couple of researchers uh, really held ground for many, many years, trying to get the message out that maybe this was a problem.
1: There was tremendous amount of opposition to Ansel Keys and to his hypothesis all throughout. I mean, it was, um, for, there was there was never any evidence that saturated fats cause heart disease when it when it became adopted in 1961. Um, it, there, it was based on very weak kind of associational evidence, the kind of evidence that shows association but not causation, and, and then they poured billions of dollars into trying to prove the hypothesis on tens of thousands of people, all these clinical trials, none of which could prove Ancel Keys' hypothesis either, um, but he he and his group um, really came to dominate all the most influential institutions, the National Institutes of Health, they dominated American Heart Association. I mean, this is by the way still true today, which is why we still have this hypothesis, this unproven hypothesis right. as policy even today. And um, and then they eventually came to dominate the, the United, the federal government's um, United, USDA dietary guideline process. But there were scientists and critics all along the way, very highly regarded lipid scientists who said, who made the point? We have we can document here. We have there were there were dozens of articles documenting healthy populations with low rates of heart disease all over the world with diets high in fat, including saturated fat. Long lived populations. I mean, from you know from the Irish dairy farmers to um, warriors the Maasai warriors to Italians who had immigrated to Pennsylvania. They all had high fat diets. Including saturated fats, and could, where there were very low rates of heart disease, and so, but all of that evidence was just somehow ignored, or silenced, or um, or suppressed, really. And and so, in order to allow the diet-heart hypothesis to continue to survive,
0: do you think this was primarily a political process, considering that the science really wasn't there to support the? Uh, uh, diet heart hypothesis and the and the uh, move against saturated fats
1: you know when you first encounter this field you know I start. I did like a decade of research in in writing my book and when I started I was a vegetarian and I you know I utterly completely believed everything that I had been told about in, you know not eating fat I hadn't eaten red meat for decades I didn't eat eggs I didn't I never had a glass of whole milk <laughs> practically my whole life <laughs> i avoided cheese and you you imagine that science is marching in this you know sober minded rational reasonable lockstep kind of way responding to you criticism do. and absorbing and then what yes. you find is that it's just a brawl, and it is like in large part politics is fueled in many different, in many ways by industrial interests, by the interests of the vegetable oil companies. I mean, there's a story in my book about how Procter and Gamble, the maker of Crisco oil, was what really launched the American Heart Association. So there were always the interests of vegetable oils involved. And you realize that it's 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 a far muddier, complex, industry-driven process than you could possibly imagine. Um, and while I think that there there were from the start there were good intentions on the part of many scientists who truly, truly believed in the science heart hypothesis, the diet heart hypothesis, and that is true today. There are many well-meaning people who t- believe this science and. Um, but I think there are many other more cynical actors, kind of manipulating those scientists or manipulating the process in some way. Um, you know, it's it's harder to it's harder and harder to understand, given the revisions and the scientific understanding that have happened really in the last five years, especially as some of that old science has been gone back and dusted off and looked at and examined, and and people have been taking a more critical eye to this science on fat and saturated fat. It, it's harder to understand. Why all that is now being ignored?
0: Well, I ha- I just want to jump in there and say that from my experience, particularly as a, a brand strategist and working with a lot of the very big brand companies over a few decades, I can tell you that something like money is going towards uh, the American Heart Association, whether as a whether as a, a gift or in setting it up that's definitely that goes under marketing that's a marketing expense so <laughs> it's right. no question that that is marketing funding political parties comes out of the marketing budget you wouldn't believe the stuff that comes out of marketing budgets research is conducted and it comes straight out of the marketing budget so uh and you know that can be any kind of research not necessarily marketing research that is going on so uh you're notion that there was an industrial or corporate component tied up with the political backdrop to this story I think it's fairly well founded from my own experience and what I've seen
1: yeah I mean I was so aware in the research that I did that I was just sort of getting the very tip of the iceberg I mean it was enough to to make a point but I knew that any you know for for an a researcher who wanted to spend another decade on this, this story there, there's so much more there. Um, and, and you realize that there's the hand of industry is involved in so much, including, you know, influencing the very, the scientists themselves, sponsoring their conferences, sponsoring their research, um, paying for their labs. I mean, it's, it's, it, that industry money really suffuses this. And as far as I can tell, it's really the most powerful industry in the, Steering our understanding about dietary fat over the past 50, 60 years has been the vegetable oil industry. Just huge companies like Unilever, Monsanto, Cargill, Archer Daniel Midland, Bungie. I mean, really some of the biggest companies in the world.
0: Absolutely. Um, so the, um, um, so the, what we really are seeing is bad science. And, you know, even if, if we just put aside the – um the the notion that there were uh sort of political reasons and corporate reasons for doing what was done it, even if the science had been good this couldn't have unfolded the way it unfolded if the science had been rigorous if we didn't have scientists or or, or researchers moving into a kind of belief, set of belief systems as opposed to conducting rigorous science then the whole this whole debacle on saturated fats really wouldn't have unfolded for as long as it has.
1: Yes, and it's really important to note that this continues today, uh, that there, the, the degree of industry influence, the way that science is being manipulated, the, the, the suppression of science that has taken place, I mean, all of that is still is, is continues. Um, so we can't talk about this only in the past tense,
0: uh, right. alas. Uh, well, as I know, certainly. Um, I've been aware of saturated fats now for a number of years. I certainly know the physical harm my own body underwent as a result of a low-fat way of eating for many years, and I'm still paying the price for that. But it's shocking to me that saturated fats are still considered by most people to be a dangerous food. They, they have run with that heart clogging, it clogs your arteries, it clogs your heart metaphor and that has stuck, that metaphor has been very powerful in marketing terms I have to say it, that's really stuck, it's very hard to break this now. So it's, uh, I was very uh, heartened is the word I want to use to see uh, your article in the British Medical Journal and the firestorm <laughs> of of commentary and criticism that it awakened, it's a very passionate it's a very passionate topic of discussion, isn't it
1: Yes, it is I mean you're talking about the saturated fat is really um there really were two major pillars of dietary advice. That was to avoid saturated fats and to avoid dietary cholesterol um, in order to avoid heart disease. That Those have been the foundation of nutrition advice of the past 50 years. So we've dropped now the advice to uh, restrict dietary cholesterol. That means that all those years you might have eaten egg white omelets, avoided the yolk, avoided shellfish, liver. All of that was a mistake. they It turns out the dietary cholesterol you eat is not connected to the dietary cholesterol in your blood because your blood you you your blood regulates how much it produces um and so if you're eating a lot it produces less you produce less in your own body so that was a mistake um and then the saturated fat is sort of the sole remaining pillar that we that we hang on to and it's obviously it's it's not just a belief, but it's, um, you have three generations of scientists who've invested their careers in it. There are m- a multitude of institutions that have invested in it, governments all over the world, uh, heart associations. I mean, it's just an endless list of institutions that have invest are invested in it. They don't want to be seen as flip-flopping on their publics. That's not good for them. And then there's a whole, you know, there's multiple industries that have grown up um, that depend upon that hypothesis being true with all the soy and grain and wheat and all those and then all the 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 pharmaceutical industry that depends upon you're being sick from the diseases that a that a that a high grain diet um,
0: that's so true if people stop to consider for just one minute how many Billions and billions of dollars are tied up in the thought that saturated fat is bad for you and that if we begin to unwind that in the minds of the general public, in the minds of medical practitioners and researchers, that all of that industry, all of that vertical integration, as they call it, that's gone on with the big packaged good companies is is wasted in their terms because they are not going to get the the payback that they had intended to get out of the long term from it. And it's actually frightening to see just how powerful that financial imperative is, even when it comes to our health. Because what we're seeing is a bunch of unintended consequences that came from the, the demonization of saturated fat. And those unintended consequences, I think, were in the form of the foods that we were told to eat. And suddenly, the the shelves in the supermarket started filling up with vegetable oils, the seed oils. Uh, if they filled up with margarines, and we were told to eat margarine instead of um, butter, instead of plain healthy butter and we started to see low fat variants of some of the more traditional lightly processed foods and there were a lot of very bad health consequences that were coming out of that were there not
1: yes so let's just take each one of those so you did a good excellent summary let's talk about the there's three unintended consequences that came about from um, banishing saturated fats so let's start with the first one which is that instead of saturated fats, people had um, vegetable oils. So that's like soybean, safflower, corn. Um, in the early days, it was cottonseed, and they um, and we shifted our consumption to them. Now, in order for those. To be used, they have to be hardened. They're no good in oil form. They they're greasy. You can't cook with them. They go rancid easily. They're not stable products. You can't have. There's no shelf life um, if you cook with just a plain oil. So hardening them is what made them useful for food manufacturers. To harden them, they had to uh, go through this process of adding hydrogen molecules to the, each and every uh, uh, one of those molecules, and that's a process called hydrogenation. That was like a huge breakthrough. In order to use these vegetable oils, um, I just—it's an interesting side note. Note when they first hardened vegetable oils through this process, they thought they would just sell it as soap because it looked right. like It was—it was actually Procter and Gamble who invented this process in the U.S. because it, they were soap makers, Absolutely. soap and candle makers, and that's what you make soap out of. But then it looked so much like lard. They thought, "Oh well, we'll try to we'll try to sell this as Crisco as an imitation lard as well." So
0: that um,
1: and then and then that was used also as margarine. So we were, you know, that's what we ate, um, and uh, we ate that in vastly increasing amounts. I mean, it was in this hardened form that vegetable oils just. To the food supply. I mean, in the U.S., they, the the consumption of them has grown more than any other single food stuff. I think it's similar all over the world. I mean, from zero to seven to eight percent of all of our calories are consumed in these vegetable oils now. And right. and you know, in a supermarket, what that meant is that every package, every single packaged food item from your um, microwave popcorns, chips, frozen dinners. Um, Everything that's in a package has some of those oils in it because it's the cheapest fat. It's, um, it, it, they were, they're able to manipulate the fat through varying levels of hydrogenation to create exactly the texture that they want. It has a long shelf life. It's um, what's used as basis for all bakery goods, all frostings, all chocolate coatings. Everything is made, was made out of these fats and they were tremendously versatile and um, and highly useful. They were like the backbone of the food industry, the manufactured food industry for decades. And the more this anti-saturated fat message got out, the more manufacturers switched over to these hydrogenated oils.
0: Right, because they're polyunsaturated fats. So regardless of any other consequence, uh, the the public health authorities believed that as long as you got rid of saturated fats and moved to polyunsaturated fats, it was all going to be good.
1: Exactly. And even though when they actually did Clinical trials, which is the most rigorous kind of experiment you can do, and they s- switched out saturated fats for these polyunsaturated vegetable oils. They found that cancer rates increased dramatically and that there was um, also concern about cerebral hemorrhages. And um, so there was a tremendous concern about these polyunsaturated vegetable oils, but those were basically sort of swept under the rug. I mean, nobody's ever. Um, Nobody's ever rationalized why they continually saw this what they called the side effect of higher rates of cancer.
0: Yes, so a side effect.
1: Event, yeah, a side effect, which we you know we still live with today. And then it turned out that trans fats were bad for your health. Um, for they 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 negatively affect your blood lipids. They um, cause calcification. They um, they lodge in each and every cell membrane and interfere with the normal functioning of your
0: cells. So and those trans fats are they are an outcome of the hydrogenation process.
1: Oh yes, yeah, sorry. I should so yeah, that's, that's right. Fine. It turns out hydrogenation, although it's wonderful for food manufacturing, it has part of the 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 byproduct of hardening oils is that it creates trans fats. Um which is just a certain kind of it's just a novel doesn't exist in nature kind of um, fatty acid. So now, we're, vegetable oil manufacturers are in the process of getting rid of trans fats so they can no longer hydrogenate their oils anymore. Um, and that puts them in a tremendous bind. Uh, what we're seeing today is to some extent in restaurants, uh, you know, fried foods have all gone back to um, just using regular old vegetable oils. Um, and that's a problem because they still. Go rancid very quickly. They oxidize easily. That those oxidation products um, uh, cause inflammation in the body. So we just there's a whole host of new problems that have come about because we are trying to get rid of hydrogenated oils, moving to trans-free oils. There's just a whole new raft of problems. And right, to some,
0: yeah. I think that uh, what I find very interesting is that a lot of people out there think that the getting rid of trans fats, the shift of moving away from trans fats in the food and the trans fats are only there because we were frightened of saturated fat, shifting to trans fats without going back to saturated fat means we have all these other oxidation products that are dangerous in their own right to our health.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, the, the big picture story is that um, hydrogenated oils with the trans fats were designed to replace saturated fats, right? Saturated fat is a naturally stable, hard fat. Butter, lard, those are, those are solid at room temperature. That means they're stable. They don't oxidize. Hydrogenated oils were meant to imitate that. Um, and to replace them. You know, McDonald's used to fry all their french fries in lard and in tallow, and then they moved to hydrogenated oils. And so now we have to get rid of all those hydrogenated oils, but now what? So we can't go, because we still remain fearful of saturated fats, we can't go back to lard and tallow the way we used to. And so now all these, um, vegetable oil companies are having to come up with new fangled products. They've basically gone back to their chemistry labs to come up with new products. Um, I agree. I have like to so say that. Like, yeah. I mean, we're almost certainly facing a situation where one of those new products, they're things like interesterified fats where they mess around with the chemical structure of the fatty acids. Like almost certainly, we're going to be facing a another trans fats in twenty years. None of these products are tested; they all come out of chemistry labs, right? Um, and you know, regulatory our-
0: processes are very regulatory processes processes are very slow to catch up with what's actually going on in the foods. Right. So so even the regulators who are supposed to be looking after our best interests cannot keep up with regulate They can't keep up with the chemicals let alone the processes that are being applied to fats
1: Right they they um, they and 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 they um, the regulators are also um, You know they're in various countries They they're quite influenced by the industries that they're supposed to be regulating. I mean in our country the vegetable oil association is—they um, have—they almost always get their president straight out of our regulatory office, um, right out of the Food and Drug Administration. Um, for decades, they've
0: gone straight into the vegetable oil association. Yes. So that's the way one it When does have a
1: lot of faith in that process?
0: No, uh, I have to also mention that uh, I was working a few years ago, I won't mention the names of the brands, but everybody in the world knows this fast food brand. It's only in the last few years that I happened to be in a meeting where they were talking about their deep fried product and how they had just made the shift or were just in the process of shifting from using coconut oil to fry their product to canola oil. So it was actually a terrifying thought to me that to discover that this this very well-known fast food brand was in fact using a far better, more stable, safer oil, all the way up to about 2011. <laughs> and then they shifted because this, it, they're so slow, they have such vast supply chains, of vast systems, and they, they mentioned in this meeting that it had taken them years to make this change. But what a negative change it was. It will now, you know, if we discover or, or we can get the message out that saturated fats are safe, it's going to take them another how many years, 40 years, to change back to a good oil like coconut oil, which is a stable saturated fat and not full of, um, what, what's the word, oxidation products.
1: Right. Now, is. It is daunting to think about all of that, although I am encouraged that, you know, in order to not use animal fats, you have to invent all the um, products that come out of chemistry labs. I'm hoping that to go back to natural products would be an easier step um, just to return to, you know, fats that occur naturally. They're they're made for us. We don't have to invent them and they don't have to come out of the beaker right. um, or a multiple, you know, factory so
0: one can be hopeful about that if you're a brand in the supermarket and you have products sitting in the vegetable oil category or you have products sitting in the margarine category you're very resistant to this vegetable oils worry me at the moment probably a little more than the margarines because i think we're seeing a little bit more butter blended with olive oil i think we're seeing a bit of a move towards that although it's a still a total schmozzle you can still walk into the margarine section of the supermarket pick up something that you think is basically butter and it's basically not butter it's basically all sorts of bad stuff so it's margarines are not a great category but vegetable oils are when people bring them home something that they're going to fry with And so that's really, I think, an area where people are being exposed to some quite dangerous, uh, side effects from using those products at home in their own kitchen. Not as bad, of course, as the, as you would say, the mom and pop, uh, fast food outlet that maybe is reusing. Vegetable oils over and over again, and getting a very big buildup of oxidation products. But you're still going to experience those oxidation products at home in your own kitchen when you use vegetable oils.
1: This is something that is so little known, and I think that um, the work that I did on this for my book, um, I feel still is is uh, it's it it hasn't quite reached um, much of an audience in the, it is so it's so novel to people, this idea that vegetable oils are unstable. They oxidize, um, they oxidize even at room temperature, but they oxidize very rapidly when heated. And especially at the kind of continual high temperatures that are found in restaurant frying operations. And, that um, process of oxidation means that they're grabbing oxygen molecules and they're degrading into literally hundreds of oxidation products, like degraded triglycerides and all kinds of things. I, I found out about this because when restaurants started going trans-free, they started using these oils that, that were oxidizing, that were less stable. They were getting shellac-like buildup on the walls. And in the restaurant drains, They were they were like hand scraping and sandblasting their um walls and drains for weeks they finally had to um they there was the invention of a new cleanser that was far more had um was more chemically was stronger chemically in order to depolymerize these um these uh this buildup that had been happening that was so unstable because it was these, you know, when something oxidizes, it means it's unstable. It's constantly changing so unstable and volatile that the workers uniform forms would spontaneously combust
0: in in the back
1: of trucks on the way to be cleaned. And then they would, they would also cause dryer fires because even after they were cleaned they had all these oxidation products all over them. And then of course the, you know, the, the, urgent question is, well, is this getting into our food or what happens when it gets into our body? And the answer is yes, it gets into your food. They found 160 oxidation products in one piece of fried chicken alone, and that gets into your body. It causes inflammation. It causes gastric damage in your digestive system. I mean, it so frightened me when I did this um, this research, um, so little of which is known because it... it, it it's highly technical. It ends up in in journals that have to do with nuclear, um, right? You know, uh, like like in like areas of science that nutrition scientists do not normally read. So there's just no conversation going on between the people who do this, this kind of research and the people who do nutrition science. So
0: so that what's happening then is at home you're doing your own when you're cooking with vegetable oils these industrial seed oils that are being sold in the supermarket uh, to a large extent i'll exclude olive oil although olive oil is still not great when it's cooked at high heat it's still going to give you some kind of oxidation product but you you're getting those products when you're cooking at home with these oils at high heat
1: Yes, you are. And that's why um, it's better to choose solid, stable fats that do not oxidize. Those are um, the traditional fats that your grandparents once cooked with, which are suet, tallow, um, duck fat, ghee, lard, butter. Those are the cooking fats for millennia. They do not oxidize. Um, And as you said, olive oil is a little bit in between. It has one double bond as opposed to many double bonds in, in polyunsaturated vegetable oils. And, and so olive oil oxidizes a little bit.
0: Nina, when Try I... you
1: use those solid, stable fats? Uh,
0: when I f- uh, first really wrapped my head around the um, the idea that the saturated fats were safe, I got my hands on some really beautiful lard. And I was so indoctrinated that I almost passed out from terror at the thought <laughs> of putting this lard into the fry pan to cook something it was terrifying and to this minute if I go into a store and buy lard I still occasionally buy lard in the supermarket although it's not the um, organic standard of lard that I would prefer to purchase um, it people look at you as if you're a nut that you' are they are so indoctrinated. I know I, I can remember my husband standing beside me saying, you're not truly going to use lard, you know. Maybe put some canola oil in that pan instead because we, we were so indoctrinated. to. And I, I look at, as because I work on supermarket packaged goods, I watch what people are putting out at the checkout when I go through the supermarket myself, and I buy very precious little there these days. Um, and what I'm still seeing is I'm seeing the, the margarines and I'm seeing the, the, uh, pa- the The pre-prepared meals and the processed foods that are full of the um, full of trans fats essentially uh, and hydrogenated oils and I'm seeing these dreadful cooking oils that are causing so much damage and I just want to sort of land the thought on the oxidation products that when we talk about uh, antioxidants and most people have been indoctrinated that they want to have antioxidants and to seek out antioxidants in their life through multicolored vegetables well that those antioxidants are there that you need them to fight those oxidation products that you're putting into your body when you consume margarines or when you consume uh highly heated cooking oils would you agree with that yes absolutely so
1: the the need for antioxidant comes comes about because you're eating, uh, oxidate, you know, these highly volatile oxidation products. So you need something to, to, I mean, it's better just to avoid those oxidation products altogether. Right. I mean, but I agree with you. It's, it is, it does take a long time to wrap your mind around. And it took me, it took me years, um, to really change the way that I cooked and I ate. And I, and I do also remember starting to use lard and watching it melt in the pan and watching it not smoke, right? right. And also just this incredibly clear, uh, it doesn't smoke, it doesn't smell bad. And I kept thinking like something terrible was, you know, it was going to start seeing some or smell something ugly, but it's, it's this beautiful fat to cook with. And things that are fried in it are absolutely crispy and delicious in a way that you realize – that you've gotten very used to kind of chemically tastes in in yes. like in french fries that we buy and i now i can't i i can it's hard for me to eat out because i can taste that kind of rancid vegetable oil taste um and it tastes pois- poisonous to me so I, I can't eat that anymore
0: that's exactly right i've found exactly the same thing you redevelop your taste for real foods Also, uh, you get such a sense of physical satisfaction when you eat real fats, real natural saturated fats. You're physically satisfied, you don't feel as hungry as quickly as you would have, I think, if you'd have had oils. There's something very physically satisfying about them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know um, if there's any scientific literature particularly on that, but I can tell you a couple things about saturated fats. One is that they're essential for the, your respiratory function, um, which depends upon those fats for um, your, the lining of your lungs. Um, and also, saturated fats are the only fats, the only food that's known to raise your HDL, that's your good cholesterol. So when you go to the doctor and he says, oh, you really need to get your HDL up, and you say, "How do I do that?" And he says, "Well, you can exercise a lot, or you can drink some red wine, um, but really, the most efficient way to raise your HDL is to eat saturated fat. That will reliably increase your HDL, your good cholesterol. And your HDL is one of the strongest, best predictors for um, for heart attack risk. Turns right. out that the one that we've relied upon most um, most Strongly in the past has been the LDL, the bad cholesterol, which saturated fat does lower a bit. But LDL turns out to be um, n- unreliable for predicting actual heart attack risk. So, so that's just another little wrinkle in the saturated fat story.
0: Right. That- and of course, the uh, statistics show us that the highest number of or the highest percentage of people presenting with heart attacks in hospitals are actually low in cholesterol
1: right it was just it's just random i mean people there are plenty of people who come in with heart attack there are just as many people who come in with low ldl as high ldl so that tells you ldl is not uh is not going to predict whether or not you're having a heart attack that's just that's just one of the things come out of that but you know I I was thinking maybe we should talk about the other two aspects of sort of the unintended consequences and how those have impacted the supermarket. I want to talk about one that um, is um, particularly kind of interesting to people, which is the the whole development of low fat brands. So um, avoiding fat, the idea that fat made you fat um, led to the development of all these uh, low fat products. And, You know, low-fat ketchup, low-fat dressing, low-fat cookies, um, low-fat everything. And that did two things. I mean, it it got people to think that those products were all safe. So they, I mean, I myself did this um, quite a lot as a teenager. I would just, like, you know, snarf down low-fat cookies thinking they'll have no bad effect on me because there's no fat in them. But, of course, all those low-fat products are higher in sugar and carbohydrates. Um, And that is because fat, as any cook will tell you, is a conveyor of flavor, texture. You you can't convey flavor without the fat. So in order to replace fat in products, they had to use what's called in the business a fat replacer. Um, Those are almost always carbohydrate-based. And sometimes they just put in more sugar in order to increase the, the flavor. So low-fat products are higher in carbohydrates, and it, I think there's a, a quite a large body of scientific literature now on many thousands of people, all kinds of populations, showing that diets high in carbohydrates are, um, make it almost impossible for people to, um, to fight obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer, um, that increasing carbohydrates leads to, um, provokes an insulin response that um, that leads to obesity and diabetes. So I
0: really want to underline that, Nina. I want to underline yeah. the fact that the fear of saturated fats led to low-fat products and that low-fat products are loaded with sugar, they're loaded with carbohydrates, very processed carbohydrates, and that these we are, are really getting a, a much clearer understanding are underpinning the obesity epidemic they're underpinning the type 2 diabetes epidemic i, I just want to add to that that the uh if you're a, a packaged good company what you do is you provide processed foods and as a brand the first thing the brand always asks is what problem are we solving well if the natural foods that we ate originally before we had packaged goods if those natural foods are okay for us to eat then the packaged good company doesn't have a problem to solve so it was really the luckiest thing that ever happened to packaged good companies that suddenly there was a problem or an alleged problem with natural foods and that unnatural foods and processed highly processed foods full of sugar and carbohydrates were required to fix that problem and indeed, make another problem.
1: Right. I mean, the, my um, my impression. You should correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression of the food industry is that they benefit from any problem that their product can then solve, because then they have a whole new marketing platform. So, if trans fats are bad, then they then they develop a bunch of products and they can put trans-free on the front of them, and then that's a new way to market their products. And so, um, right. They don't mind that changing landscape so long as they can they can market on the basis of the changing health claims. Is that
0: they? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, what they do mind is any suggestion that the natural food is okay to start with, because the minute you accept that the natural food is okay and you promote the natural food, then there isn't a problem for them to solve and they become irrelevant. It's another big very big term that's used in brand discussions if you're sitting at the table working on brands is relevance trying to maintain relevance so you can just imagine all of the discussions that go on as uh, new uh, products are put into development uh, how they're going to maintain their relevance and that's exactly what you said as trans fats become a, a problem they maintain their relevance by moving to Uh, another set of ingredients that they can still brand and that they can make specific claims about because claims, the claims that are on the packaging, the claims that are in the advertising, this is the bread and butter, if you like, of how the food manufacturing industry survives.
1: Yes, you know, I have to say that I'm not anti-packaged foods and I don't think it's reasonable in, in the kinds of economies that we live in for anybody to be completely against packaged foods, because um, you know, we we li- we live in <laughs> enormous societies where it's very hard to get everybody fed, and we all of us, um, unless you have all day long to cook and pro- make your own foods, it's very hard to avoid packaged foods. I mean, you know, what do you put in your child's lunchbox for snack time? Exactly. Or it's just it's a reality. And so, to me, um, it would just be. Better to try to move towards those foods being full of healthy ingredients. For instance, I really believe it would be better to go back to using lard or tallow as a as a fat in those foods, and just exposing um, people less to these polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Um, that, to me, would be a step in the in the right direction. And of course, trying and that would also help reduce the amount of sugar and and in, in those products, which would also be good for people. So I think. We have to be realistic about what is possible uh in our society and then just try to move things in a healthy direction.
0: I agree. I also I personally live by the 80/20 rule because I it's just too stressful to try and live in this society and do everything perfectly all the time. That's its own negative health impact. Right. So it's better to just Right. <clears throat> stress excuse is me. bad for your health. Yes. So- you're like, you have, to, you
1: have to cut a bargain somewhere, right? Exactly.
0: You just have to say, some of the time I'm going to eat processed stuff. I'm going to know the brand that I buy it from and understand that hopefully I'm making the best choice, even, even there. But how wonderful it would be to achieve a point where, in fact, some of the food manufacturing companies could return to using the real fats, the the quality saturated fats in their products because they are shelf stable i 'm looking at palm oil specifically palm oil is a fantastic fat it 's under a lot of a lot of stress because it, of the um, of the ethical and sustainability issues around it but as a fat just in terms of health it 's an excellent fat fantastic for shelf stability. So finding a fat that can replace palm oil without damaging rainforests and making orangutans homeless is a different problem, but it's a great fat. Right.
1: So I agree with that completely. And the reason that uh, companies have returned in droves to using palm oil, especially in the last 10 years, is because they can no longer use hydrogenated oils um, and because they, it is still too risky to go back to listing lard and tallow and suet in your products. So if we could just go, if those, if the taboo around those animal fats could be lifted, we could go back to using those, save the orangutans, and contribute to um, better health.
0: Wouldn't that be um, great? Right. <laughs> there, was the <laughs> the Sorry, awesome. uh, there was a third point. Trifecta of goodness. Sorry. Trifecta of goodness. That's awesome. There was a third area you just wanted to discuss before we finish up here.
1: Right, so the other unintended consequence of reducing fat, which as I just touched upon, was, um, was the increase in carbohydrates. Um, not just refined packaged goods, but, um, but if you reduce, there are really only three macronutrients to consume in all foods, those are fat, protein and carbohydrates. So if you reduce fat, which we almost all societies have done, who follow these Western guidelines, um, in the U.S., we reduced our fat between 1965 and today by 25-30%, which is an enormous shift. Um, yes. Then you have to increase carbohydrates. That's you know you're switching from meals based on dairy, meat, eggs, cheese, um, which have been historically the foods that made up the centerpieces of of human um, meals for millennia, and you have to switch over to more food, more meals based on breads, grains, pasta, um, which are not bad in and of themselves, but we have really ramped up consumption of those. Right. And those foods in your body, all of them become glucose, which is the same thing that's found in sugar. And, uh, so eating a piece of bread is like eating, you know, several ta- tablespoons of sugar. And then that sugar triggers the release of insulin in your body. Insulin is the king of all hormones for making you fat. Insulin is what controls fat deposition in your body. So as long as you are eating glucose in whatever form you eat it in, even in you know, that seemingly healthy quinoa salad, it still becomes glucose. And so long as you're eating that, and if you're eating it all day long from oatmeal in the morning to quinoa at lunch to pasta for dinner, you are have constantly circulating insulin in your bloodstream Chronic exposure to insulin over time is what causes type two diabetes. Um, so, it is that shift, that unintended shift to increase carbohydrates, that I think has is the third unintended consequence of, of cutting out fat and saturated fat in the diet. Agreed. And, yeah, just going to say that epidemics. You know, we all suffer from just you know these. We are all suffering from epidemics of of. Obesity and diabetes. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing the consequences of, of these diet and nutritional recommendations that all countries adopted in the 1980s and onward.
0: Right. We're seeing this perfect storm, right, in which we've got carbohydrates have increased sugars, have increased polyunsaturated fats with all of their oxidated products in them have increased and these are causing inflammation in our bodies and inflammation is the the underpinning condition of all of these diseases of civilization which include obesity and type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, a range of diseases that we're seeing now that were not in our ancestors in any major way can be linked to this fear of saturated fat and the accompanying increase in polyunsaturated fat intake and uh, processed carbohydrate intake.
1: Right. So (laughs) what are the lessons? Before we have to wrap up, the lessons are... um, I think there is a place for all these supermarket foods. I think they, could, we, they, they should, um, some of the lessons are to, to make them healthier, which is there's a tremendous amount of room for making them healthier. Um, and, and, and I think there, you know, maybe one day we will see the, the, the launch of, of marketing messages saying, you know, includes natural saturated fats.
0: <laughs> yes, natural lard or tallow. <laughs> that would be wonderful.
1: Right, that'll be like that, that uh, Woody Allen sleeper uh, movie where he wakes up and you know chocolate hot fudge sundays turn out to be good for your
0: health. It'll be a documentary. Right, <laughs> that movie. It's it's so funny. I I think I just want to land as a, a a thought for people to run with that the evidence is there that you should be choosing butter. You should be choosing lard, which is a pork fat, you should be choosing tallow, which is beef fat, goose or duck fat, these beautiful natural animal fats, or coconut oil, or palm oil, these are the stable, safe fats that you should be choosing, and perhaps stay away from the industrial seed oils in the uh, oil, cooking oil section of the supermarket, and Stay away from margarines and just be very wary of the processed foods that you're buying because those processed foods are a hidden source of not only carbs and sugars but of dangerous fats as well. Nina, I want to thank you so much for being here for this discussion. It just was fantastic. Nina's website is the Big Fat Surprise. Dot com, And the book is The Big Fat Surprise. So um, I encourage you all heartily to get a hold of the book. It will be linked on the page here. You'll be able to uh, go directly to Nina's website as well. Thank you, Nina, for being here.
1: Thank you. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you.
0: I'm Melody patterson Metta. I'm Melody patterson Metta. this is Reinventing and the this Supermarket. is Reinventing the Supermarket.